Well, I feel like it's been forever since we've, I've been with you. Um, I appreciate so much uh, the elders that uh, substituted for me the last few weeks. I know that it's been really good classes. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to all three of them yet, but uh, I know that it's been really beneficial as we've continued this discussion about how the meek will inherit the earth according to Jesus and according to the psalmist. Uh, and so let's do just a little bit of review, because for me it's been four weeks since I've been here, so uh, you can help me out. Do you remember what the Hebrew word for meek is? Anav, good, anav, the anav. Um, how about this? Uh, we'll put this one up there. Meekness is about patiently enduring the, the present in light of the future, right? Meekness is about patiently enduring the present in light of the future, because we know that God will bring every enemy down, because we know that good will ultimately triumph, because we know that God and God's people will be victorious, we can endure the present because we know what the future holds, right? Uh, as is often said, I don't know, you know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. I know who holds uh, the future. Remember we talked about, we, I shared a story with you that I had heard about uh, the German uh, POW or the German uh, camp where they were holding American prisoners of war and how the Americans had pieced together a radio and how they had heard about how the, the Nazi regime had fallen and how the war was about to be over and that they knew three days before the German armies knew, uh, at least the ones that held their camp, that their, the battle was over and how the Americans knew for three days, it's over. They just don't know it yet. The enemy just doesn't know it yet. And so they could endure those three days because they knew what the future held. They knew that it's just a matter of time. And three days later, they woke up and all of the enemies were gone and the camp was empty and they were free to leave. And so that's, that's the present reality in which we live. We know that the forces of darkness that the enemies of God's people, that their time is limited. And then, how about this? The meek surrender their... No, sorry, I told you the first blank. The meek are... Sorry. The meek are... I don't know what that one is supposed to be. <laughs> go ahead and click it to the next. Yeah, there we go, afflicted. Yeah, I, it's not what I had in my notes. Yeah, the meek are afflicted, but they surrender their enemies to God. The meek are afflicted. And so we, we talked about how the word anav, the word anav means poor and afflicted. But the implication is that even though you are afflicted and persecuted and hurt and poor and suffering, you trust your situation. You trust your enemies. You surrender your enemies to God. And then finally, the meek embrace the good news of God's, what, you remember? God's reign, the good news of God's reign, li living as if future rewards are a present reality, right? That's what good news is all about, right? In Isaiah, we talked about a few weeks ago how in Isaiah, that's what good news is all about, Basar, that's what good news is, that God reigns, that even though because of your sins you're going to be exiled away, that God will reign in Zion, that good news will be proclaimed, and then Jesus shows up and pronounces good news. The Messiah is here. The King is here. Your God reigns. So the meek fully embrace the good news of God's reign, living as if future, future, sorry, what is it? Go ahead. Future, oh, 
Man, I messed those slides all up, didn't I? I don't even know what I'm doing. Living as if future rewards are a present reality. Okay, thank you, Tim, Tim for keeping me in line. Uh, okay, how about this? Here's the, the Greek word that we're going to talk about tonight, praus, praus. Now, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, when Jesus quotes... When Jesus quotes Psalm 37, verse 11, that says that the meek will inherit the land, this is the Greek word that's used. And often in our English translations, the, the word praus that's translated as meek in Matthew 5, 5 is often translated as gentle, gentle. And I want us to think through tonight, why is it that the meek, why is it that meekness and gentleness go hand in hand. We talked to sort of about humility and how meekness is related to humility and how when we mean humble, we don't mean humble as in just a lack of pride. We mean humble like he comes from a humble background. When somebody comes from a humble background, what does that mean? That they're poor, right? That they came from, they didn't come from means. They weren't at the top of the, the social ladder. They were kind of at the bottom. When we say, welcome to my humble abode, we mean it's not fancy, it's not big, it's not great, it's not grand. We mean that it's, it's lowly, right? And so meekness has to do with being poor, being afflicted, but it also has to do with entrusting your enemies entrusting your present situation to God that he's going to make things better. So why would, why would this word often be associated with gentleness? Why would being afflicted and persecuted and poor be associated with gentleness? Because meek people, the anav or the praus, they don't take vengeance. They don't demand what's theirs. They don't steal in order to take back what was taken from them. They don't retaliate. They don't do evil to fight back against evil. Remember the phrase that, and it's the phrase that always comes to my mind when we talk about these things. It's the cliche that we say, you fight fire with fire. But the, the anav, the praus, the meek, the gentle, they don't fight fire with fire, right? Romans chapter 12. They don't overcome evil with evil. They overcome evil with good. So do you see why that, why meekness and gentleness have to go hand in hand? Because it's about surrendering our enemies to God. It's about entrusting our present situation because we know what the future holds. It's about living and enduring and putting up with the present in light of the future. And so we do good in the present because we know what the future holds. So let's look at, uh, look at a couple passages. Look at Galatians chapter 5. And we could look at several different passages where praus or the, the words associated with that are, are used throughout the New Testament, and we'll look at a couple of those, but I want to especially look at Galatians tonight and look at Galatians chapter 5. So we might even say, you know, if you, again, if you think about Matthew chapter 5, 5, the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It might, you might even be able to say, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And gentle, again, even though the Greek is being used by Matthew, it, it, he has the ideas, at least Jesus has the ideas from Psalm 37 in mind, right? The anav, 
So gentle, even though you are persecuted. Gentle, even though you are afflicted. Gentle, even though you are poor. Gentle because you're enduring the present in light of the future, right? Because you know who holds the future. You know what's coming. You know that God will bring every enemy down and that God's people will be victorious. You know that God reigns as king. You know what's going to happen. You know what God has promised. You know that God is faithful. And even though you're suffering and even though you're afflicted and even though you're poor, you endure and you're gentle And you think through a lot of the things that Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. And what is it that he told his disciples to do? What is it that he said when he's announcing these Beatitudes and he's saying, this is what the kingdom looks like and these are your promises. And he would say things like, blessed are the persecuted, right? And when someone slaps you on the cheek, you turn and let them slap you on the other. And if someone forces you to go a mile with them, you go two, right? Is that meekness? Yes, meekness, especially in the face of affliction and persecution and poverty. And these kind of people from a worldly perspective are never the winners, right? They're never the ones that that people look at and say, yeah, of course, the Anav are going to come out on top. Of course, the Praus, the, the gentle, the poor, the afflicted. The persecuted, of course they're going to come out on top. You have to have the eyes of faith in order to think that way. In fact, I heard a story today. I was listening to an audio book, so I I didn't catch all of the details. But there was a story about this, this man who was persecuted because of his faith, because he was a follower of Jesus. In fact, they were trying to arrest him to put him to death, and he was escaping across the frozen water and he was running across the ice and the ice, and he, he was escaping and his pursuer, the ice broke underneath him and his pursuer fell into the water and he was screaming, help me, help me. And what do you suppose the guy that was running away did? He went back and he helped him and he helped him out of the water. Of course, the pursuer was totally shocked that somebody would, I was trying to catch you and throw you in jail and, and kill you. He was totally shocked that he would come back. But guess what he did anyway? He still put him in jail. And they still executed the man. And and we might look at that and we say, see, if you're gentle and you turn the other cheek and you go the extra mile, if you're the Anav, if you're the Praus, then you lose. You get put to death. But what does the gospel tell us? That in spite of death, we are victorious, right? Jesus would say, don't fear those who kill the body. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. If you believe in me, yet you, even though you die, yet shall you live, right? That This has got to be, this is the only way, the only way we can live as the enough, the only way we can live as the meek, the only way we can live as the gentle, the only way we can love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, turn the other cheek and do good to those who do evil to us, overcome evil with good. The only way we can do that is if we put on the eyes of faith and we endure the present in light of the, the future, right? Now, In Galatians, what's the big conflict in Galatians? You remember Paul? Paul had just gone through the churches in Galatia. In fact, I think a lot of people think this is Paul's first 
a letter that he wrote, maybe not, but, but I think it probably was his first letter that he wrote. And, and so he had just gone on his first missionary journey, had just planted a bunch of churches, made a bunch of disciples. He'd come back to Antioch. Everything was going great. And then he gets word that's what, what's going on in, in these churches in the region of Galatia. There's these uh, Judaizers, as they were called, right? That they were going in, not just that they were Jewish, that Paul was Jewish, Jesus was Jewish. It's that they were going in and they were telling Gentile Christians, if you want to be part of the family of Abraham, if you want to be a part of God's people and God's family, you want to inherit these covenant promises, then you have to be circumcised, right? You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law of Moses. You have to eat kosher food. You have to wear these clothes. You have to do these things. You have to keep our customs and our laws. And that's the only way for you to be a part of this family. And if you're not circumcised and you don't keep the law of Moses, you're out, right? You can't be a part of our family. And so Paul was making the point over and over and over again that if that's true, then Jesus died for nothing, right? If that's true, if, if this inheritance can be gained simply by keeping the customs and the laws of Moses, then why did Jesus die? Jesus died so that Jew and Gentile could come into the family and so that whether you're Jew or you're a Gentile or you're slave or you're free or you're male or you're a female, if you've been baptized into Jesus, you're a part of the family of Abraham. You're a part of the family of God. You inherit these promises. And, and Paul would make the point that it's not, about, it's not about the flesh, right? And you can see why he's saying that because of the circumcision debate, right? So it's not about the flesh, but about the spirit, right? It's about whether or not you're walking by the spirit. And he would say, and kind of use flesh in a couple different ways. One, flesh, like because of what they were trying to force on their Gentile brothers and sisters, or their Gentile brothers, flesh in that sense, but also flesh in the sense that the way Paul would typically use it is like moral weakness and our tendency to sin and saying this is, this is what's driving you. This is what's driving your life. is not the spirit of God, but the flesh, and you're walking by the flesh and not by the spirit. If you walk by the, the spirit, then, then you live out what God would have you to live out. But if you live by the flesh, it's very similar to what he wrote in Romans 7. You remember in Romans 7? When he's talking about, you know, there's all these good things that I want to do. And when I was living by the law, you know, I, I wanted to do the good things, but I ended up doing the things I didn't want to do. And there's the things that I, I don't want to do. And I say, that's bad. I shouldn't do that. I don't want to do that. And I end up doing those things. And Paul is saying, but if, if you live by the Spirit then you end up living the kind of life that God would have you to live, okay? So Galatians 5, verses 16 and following. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, right? Now, does that mean you just live just lawless lives? Is that what he's saying? No, of course not. It, it, again, it's very similar to some of the things he wrote in Romans, because sometimes that's exactly what people accuse Paul of, to say, oh, are you saying we just keep on sinning? If we're saved by grace and we're not under law, then you just keep on sinning? And he would say, no, you died to that. How can you live in that any longer? He's saying, no, this life that, that disciples of Jesus 
get to live out is a life of freedom, but not a life of freedom in order to follow sinful desires. A life of freedom that's led by the Spirit. And and then he would go on to say, okay, if you want to know specifically what that looks like versus what it looks like to walk by the flesh, here you go. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now, where would we go to define some of these terms? The law? Yeah, absolutely. Is Is the law helpful for helping us to understand what things look like, like sexual immorality and sorcery and idolatry? Yes, absolutely. All of that is helpful. But but these things, this way of living, is a product of living and walking by the, what? The flesh. And it's not just the people, what he's really getting at, and I think you'll see that especially here in a second, it's not just the pagans that are walking by the flesh, is it? It's the Judaizers. It's the religious folks that are coming in and saying, no, 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 it's all about the flesh. It's all about what you eat and whether or not you're circumcised and whether or not you keep these customs. And he says, these are, this is the evidence of walking by the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which means hostility. Enmity, strife, quarreling and fighting. Was there plenty of that going on in the churches in Galatia? Yeah. Was there plenty of that going on in the religious world in Jerusalem? Yeah. Plenty of that going on amongst good, you know, pious religious people? Enmity and strife, jealousy. In fact, the word there is zealous. Who were the zealots? You remember? The zealots were the group of Jews, especially in Jerusalem, but all throughout, that wanted to fight, right? They wanted to fight to overthrow who? The Romans, right? Fight to overthrow the Romans. Why? So that God could reign, right? So that God could have his kingdom back. So that the people of God could have their kingdom back. So we all need to get swords and spears and shields and we need to go out and we need to overthrow the the Romans. And Jesus would come along And Jesus would bring a kingdom that was not of this world, right? And he would bring God's rule and reign and announce the good news without any swords or without any spears, without any shields, without any chariots, without any horses. And he would bring about God's kingdom rule through selflessness, self-giving love and faithfulness, right? But even if it's not jealousy or zealousy that has a sword in its hand but it just has angry words and hurting and devouring and biting each other these are works of the what the flesh and he's saying you ought to be able to look and and Obviously, these people that are trying to convince you to be circumcised and these people that are doing the convincing of being of saying you've got to keep the law of Moses, they sound very religious and they sound very smart and they sound very pious, but here's the results. Here's the evidence. Here's what it looks like. Enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger. Wrath, literally the word there, I I looked that up today, it was interesting, it literally means to breathe hard, just, you know, just like steam coming out your ears kind of thing, you know, right? That's a work of the 
flesh. Fits of anger, rivalries. It's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Rivalries, trying to get ahead of each other, trying to put yourself out there in front, trying to be, trying to be the top dog. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So once his message, both to, both to the, the pagan, the, the unbeliever, the idolater who would be engaged in drunkenness and orgies and sexual immorality and impurity and all of these things, and to the religious, pious person who's just beat red, angry, yelling, you know, dividing up and saying, no, you're wrong and I'm right, and drawing lines in the sand and getting angry and zealous. And, and Paul knows a lot about jealousy or being zealous, doesn't he? He knows a lot about that. He knows a lot about these Judaizers, even though he wasn't a Judaizer because he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He put people to death and he thought he was doing the will of God. And these people that are in Galatia, they think they're doing the will of God or at least they're, they're trying to put on airs that, that, like they believe that they're doing the will of God. But in reality, they're not walking by God's spirit, but by the, the flesh. Right? Because it's so, it's, so, it's so easy to fall into that way of thinking and that way of living. That's our, our default mode. That's what we do when we just do what's common sense, right? And think about that for just a second, especially as it pertains to the opposite of meekness, the opposite of gentleness. What do you do when you're persecuted? What do you do when you're afflicted? What do you do when people hurt you? Whether that's emotionally or whether that's physically. What do you do? What's the natural thing to do? Is the natural thing to do when you're slapped on the cheek to turn and let them slap you on the other? There's nothing natural about that. Is the natural thing to do when some soldier takes his pack off and says, listen, it's the law for you to walk with me for a mile. You've got to carry my stuff for a mile. And you say, thank you, sir. I'd actually like to go too. Is that natural? There's nothing natural about that. When, when that man was running away from his pursuer and he knew that the man wanted to throw him into jail and wanted to kill him, and he, he hears the ice break behind him. And he hears someone flailing in the water saying, please, please help me, I'm drowning. Is the natural thing to do to turn around and go and help him. There's nothing natural about that. In fact, you might even be excused for thinking, you know what, I guess, I guess God, you know, he got him, you know, he, God saved me. He, he protected me by making that guy fall in the water and ha, I'm scot-free, I'm going to run and keep running. There's nothing natural about helping your enemy. There's nothing natural about loving your enemy. There's nothing natural about being spit on and persecuted and accused wrongly and afflicted and persecuted and, and being poor because people take away what belongs to you. There's nothing natural about loving people in those situations and being gentle in those situations. It's natural to be 
to have enmity. It's natural to have strife. It's natural to have jealousy. It's natural to have fits of anger. It's natural to divide up and say, that's you and this is me and I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Those things are all natural. Just, just, like, just like fulfilling sexual desires or whatever it is, eating whatever you want to eat, drinking whatever you want to drink, all of those things are natural, right? It's what you feel like doing in the moment. That, that's the result. That's what it looks like to walk by the, what? The flesh, to do what is natural. Now, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is what is unnatural, what is supernatural, the way he would talk about it in books like Ephesians and in Colossians is this is what the new man looks like. When you've buried the old man of flesh and you're raised up to walk with Jesus by the Spirit, this is what this looks like. The fruit. And notice it's the fruit singular, right? It's the fruit. Not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit. The singular fruit. I always like to describe it. It's like it's like if you were to take a, a piece of fruit like an apple or a, a pineapple or a kumquat or whatever, and I actually don't know what a kumquat is, but you know, if you take a piece of fruit and you just describe it, right? You say a pineapple, it's kind of it's kind of yellow and it's kind of prickly and it kind of has this green stem on the top and you cut it open and it's yellow and you know it's got kind of ring after you take the core. You know, you, you could describe all of the qualities of this one fruit. And so Paul says, listen, this is what the fruit of the Spirit of God living in your life, you walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh, this is what it looks like. This is the fruit. These are the qualities of that fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, and here's our word, the root word being praus, gentleness. Again, same root word there as Jesus uses in Matthew 5, 5, for the meek shall inherit the earth. Gentleness, self-control. Now think about these qualities, right? Love, and joy, and peace, and patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do, do, do those say anything about the situation that's going on around us when we display those qualities? Not necessarily, right? Not necessarily. It's not about the situation. It's about who we are, right? It's about who we are. Against such things, there is no what? Law, right? And so if you're living this way, will you violate the law of God? No, right? You won't, right? You won't. If you're living this way, if you're loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled, then you won't violate the law of God, right? You, you don't have to have law written on stones. You don't, you don't have to have all of these rules. You don't have to have all, if you're living this way, then you won't violate the law of God. 
And if all of God's people, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, live this way, then they won't violate the law of God. They can live freely, freely, don't have to be circumcised. It's not about the food you eat. It's not about the clothes you wear. It's not about the holidays you celebrate or don't celebrate. It's not about those things. But if, if you walk by the spirit and not by the flesh, you don't do what comes naturally to you. You don't respond naturally. You don't react naturally. But instead, you allow the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, to direct your steps. Then then you live this way. And against such things, there is no law. You're you're not going to violate the law of God. So what do the people of God need to focus on? Whether or not they keep the Sabbath? Whether or not they're circumcised? Is that what we need to focus on? No, whether or not we walk by the the Spirit, right? Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So, meekness, gentleness, not getting even, not getting revenge, not fighting fire with fire. This, along with love and joy and peace and patience, is a characteristic, a trait of a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. So it's not so much, here's what I want us to think about, it's not so much that Christians seek meekness. Here's what, I guess when I started out a few weeks ago with these lessons, I I really like the way that kind of rolled off the, the tongue seek to be meek. I like that, seek to be meek. But the more I thought about it, especially in light of this passage tonight, I thought, you know what? It's not really about seeking to be meek. It's not so much that we seek meekness. It's not so much that we seek to be loving or joyful. It's not so much that, I mean, we're not going to have like a six-week lesson on, you know, how to be joyful, right? It's not so much that we seek to be joyful, It's that the spirit-filled, spirit-led life is joyful. The spirit-filled, spirit-led life is loving and peaceful and patient. So Christians, it's not that we seek to be meek because meek means a nav. Meek means afflicted and it means persecuted. It means poor. You don't run out and say, oh man, I wish I could find some persecution or some affliction because Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, so please, please, somebody. I guess there are some people that live like that, but that's not what we should do, right? Don't seek to be persecuted or afflicted. Those things come, don't they? Christians seek to walk by the Spirit, and meekness is one aspect of a Spirit-led life, right? So we don't run out and seek persecution. The the only way that we can practice gentleness, how can you practice gentleness? The only way to practice gentleness, if the opposite of gentleness is hostility, then how do you practice gentleness? The only time you can practice gentleness is in a situation where you have the opportunity to be hostile, right? The only time you can practice meekness is when you have the opportunity to not be meek. 
You don't run out and look for those opportunities. You don't run out and look for opportunities where you could respond in a way that's not meek. Those, those opportunities will come. Affliction comes, persecution comes, poverty comes, pain comes, you know, being criticized, those things come, right? And if we are walking by the Spirit, then we respond with what? Meekness, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. So how do we, how do, we do that, right? How do, we, how do we walk by the Spirit? Well, think about passages like Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Paul would say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's this, isn't it? If meekness is the ability or the trait or the characteristic of enduring the present in light of the future, then how do I be meek? I focus on the future, right? I focus on the promises of God. If, if meekness is embracing, fully embracing God's rule and reign and saying, I believe that even though I'm in a prison of war camp and there are enemies all around me, I believe that they've actually fallen. They just don't know it yet. I believe that all of my enemies, that their sting has been taken away from them. They just don't know it yet. I believe that Satan and all the forces of darkness have already been defeated. They just don't know it yet. If meekness is embracing that truth and that reality and living right now in light of the rewards that will come, living as if the future rewards are a present reality, then the only way for me to be meek is to focus on that story. And I think all too often we focus on the rules. I think all too often we like, okay, well, in this situation, here's what the Christian is supposed to do. Like, here's the rules. A, B, C, D, E, F. You know, if somebody forces you to go a mile, you go with them two. Like, not 2.1 or 2.3, but you go with them two miles. As soon as you get to two miles, you throw that backpack on the ground because you don't go, that's not, it's not about the rule. It's about the rule, the rule and the reign of God. And because we believe that God rules and reigns through Jesus, it changes us, right? We, we embrace that truth that God rules and reigns through Jesus, that everything is different because of what Jesus has done, that we believe that we will inherit all of the promises that God made to Abraham, that we are part of Abraham's family, that we win then it changes the way we respond in the moment, doesn't it? In fact, even tonight, even the little things, if we can respond to actual physical persecution this way, and Christians have, for 2,000 years, Christians have responded to persecution with meekness. And if we can do that, then we can respond to the little things with meekness, can't we? It's, it's just in the moment taking a breath and remembering who are you? To whom do you belong? What are the promises that you already have because of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do? And in through embracing those truths, the Spirit of God fills us and leads us and directs us and we walk by the Spirit and the product of that 
The produce of that, the fruit of that is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. Isn't it? But it's about remembering in the moment, who are you? To whom do you belong? What does the future hold? If you, if you try to be meek and you just try to figure out, okay, well, what are the rules to meekness? You know, what, what do I have to do to be meek? And it's not about that. It's who are you and whose are you and what do you have because of what Jesus has done. And in the moment, you take a deep breath. I was a little frustrated with my youngest son on the way over here. Don't tell him, but I was a little frustrated with him tonight. And I just took a deep breath and just remembered the big picture. Just take a deep breath and remember the big picture. And even, again, back to that scenario, the guy's running away and he's being chased across the ice and he ends up being executed. Take a deep breath and remember the big picture. And even in that moment, he can realize, I win. I win. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, Lord, we want to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind. We want to be meek. We want to be self-controlled. We don't want to walk by the flesh, but by the spirit. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Help the spirit to dwell in us. Help us to be filled with the spirit. Help us to leave from this place tonight and this week and allow the fruit of the Spirit to be seen in us through you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing in the world, to have the opportunity to have heard the good news and to have embraced it. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.